Word of warning here, this is the opening where I sound like a grandpa going all back in my day while I shake my fist at the neighbor's kids on my lawn. So I remember when I started as an analyst in ESG like 10 years ago now, the data we used to get from companies was pretty spotty. And the data we did get could range from great to mildly interesting to totally useless. I used to tell analysts as they researched, if the company gave you an annual report using Getty images of employees writing on whiteboards with austere blue and gray formatting, and then the sustainability report was full of multiracial kids holding hands in a forest at sunset, you kind of knew the data you were getting probably wasn't going to be very investor-focused for ESG. But today, the ESG analysts here are like full-on spoiled Take this stat. In 2014, about 500 companies wanted to talk to us about their ESG data. And last year, in 2018, that number was more than 7,000. We get data on so much more than we did when I had to walk uphill both ways to work. I mean, it's basically night and day. And here's what rattles me, because I know how much better it is now. And I can't help but wonder, what's everyone complaining about it for? Welcome to ESG Now. I'm your host, Matt Muscardi. On today's show, we're going to look at ESG through the eyes of its detractors. And Ten years ago, I routinely was told I was a tree-hugging hippie working in ESG, but now, while I do maintain the veneer of a bearded hobo, the criticism couldn't be more different. So let's go full confessional today through the three biggest criticisms of ESG data and ratings. Criticism number one, there's not enough good data. And criticism number two, actually, there's just too much data altogether. And criticism number three, the ratings built off the data are all meaningless. In the end, the problems for ESG investors might not actually be any of these things. It might be the investors themselves. Criticism number one, there's not enough good data. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because this is still the number one question I get asked. How can we get more data? That was Linda Elling Lee, our intrepid leader here at MSCI ESG. And that was from a webinar we held back in January of this year. I have to start with a mea culpa here. In ESG, some of the data kind of does suck. Companies give us incomparable numbers all the time. You can't get all the same data in some industries, and none of it anywhere is really audited or mandatory. It's mostly voluntary. You just have to kind of trust the company. It's nothing like traditional financial information. Oh, in case you can't tell, I'm setting you up for a clip saying the opposite. I think um, your counting data, it's, I mean, it's accepted as, as really high-quality data. I mean, basically everyone, um, anyone who's interested in investing, when, you, when you're interested in investing, you start by looking at the accounting, at the, the financial statements. But I guess 
to put it into uh, into context, I mean, accounting scandals still happen, um, which means that some of the data that we use as investors um, is not actually reliable. And um, uh, this company, Audit Analytics, uh, that monitors this sort of stuff, they, they found in 2017 that actually 6% of U.S. publicly listed companies had to restate their financials in the past year. If accounting data is the benchmark for high-quality data, there are still issues um, with that data. That was Andrew Young. He's one of our ESG geniuses in Sector 7G, and he happens to also be an accountant. And I stole his time because he's actually working on a podcast right now that will make accounting sound sexy. So, yeah, look out for that. But I want to breathe in that number Andrew cited. Andrew said 6% of U.S. companies restated their financials in some way last year. And while that may not sound like a lot, during the financial crisis, that number was actually closer to 1 in 5 But investors, they still rely on that data. Modern investing is built on the same accounting standards since the Great Depression. And in contrast, modern ESG is built on more like 10 years of voluntary, unaudited company disclosures. So it's obvious who you should trust, right? And a lot of the criticism of ESG data quality might actually be rooted in a behavior bias, not reality a bias called functional fixation. Functional fixation basically says that people like to use a thing the way that it's always been used. And just last month, investors began voting to change company auditors because after so many accounting scandals, no one is sure who to trust at all. So if you can make a case that all the data is flawed somehow, what data can you rely on? And I I think it's really important to uh, make a clear distinction between what I would call the ESG information landscape um, and voluntary corporate disclosure. ESG data does not equal corporate disclosure. So if you think of ESG data as only corporate disclosure, then then no, there actually isn't a lot of data. It's growing for sure, but but pretty slowly. Um, But then you'd be missing a large and really a much more rapidly growing part of the ESG information landscape, which consists of data from a variety of sources. IBM estimated that 90% of the data we use today was created in just the last two years. And the stuff we used 10 years ago here in ESG, we hand-collected that from wherever we could find it. And we used it because a lot of companies didn't give us much. But today, we're using crazy stuff. Stuff like satellite data and social media data and finding patterns in news reports. So while it's true that some investors are saying there's not enough high-quality data in ESG, it really just depends where you look. Because at this point, we might actually have too much. Um, I think that company disclosure is clearly necessary. Uh, We need more of it. Um, And what we're finding, though, and what we found in the past is that it's actually, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Criticism number two. There's too much useless data. Why don't we start by having you introduce yourself? Okay. I'm Michelle Friedman. I'm the commercial product manager at MSCI ESG Research for our screening products, our portfolio reporting tools, and our custom ESG research. Holy shit, that's a lot of stuff. 
Given Michelle's absurd list of responsibilities, she's arguably closest here at MSCI to the most unique requests we get from clients around the world. And if we're talking about having too much data, Michelle sees the sort of extreme ends of it. So I wanted to know, what's like the craziest request that we get? I mean, I guess it ends up being quote-unquote crazy, not my words, yours, um, when it's just something that is not realistic based on the information that we have available or in its applicability to the corporate context necessarily. Um, so yeah, like the measuring the level, the, the, you know, the size of drift nets or something like that. I don't know if you caught that, but Michelle just said measuring the size of drift nets, like fishing gear data. And she goes on to mention specific data on things like types of gambling or smoking or even some esoteric or hard to define things like political figures. And investors, they're asking us for this. So it's probably useful for someone, right? But all that data, whether you or I think it's relevant or not, usually gets lumped in when people talk about ESG. So it's not surprising when you hear this, quote, our study found that only about 20% of ESG data in any given industry is material from an investment standpoint. And that's from an interview with Professor George Serafine, a Harvard professor and arguably one of the foremost academics studying ESG. And he isn't alone in his opinion. SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce said this spring at an investor conference that ESG was agenda-driven and removes focus from actual, quote, generally material matters. I can't help but contrast that against what investors are actually doing, though. Because as regulators and courts and investors have all been wrangling to define what is capital M material for decades, it's clear that a lot of investors are using ESG data, the whole range of ESG data, and they're making all sorts of different decisions. So are we really saying that 80% of ESG data isn't actually useful? You know, I, I, I think the big data problem is, is that people succumb to the temptation to just keep collecting data forever. More data is going to be better, right? Not correct. What's critical is the context within which you interpret the data. That was our very own Rick Marshall, MSCI's house professor. He's a regular on ESG now. And what he's basically saying is what I think we all know. It's not about what data there is. It's really about how you, the investor, uses it. Criticism number three. The ratings built off the data are meaningless. George O. May, chair of a committee that founded GAAP, the accounting standard used in the U.S., wrote in 1932, quote, We accountants know how varied are the methods commonly and legitimately employed, how great the effect of a difference of methods on the earnings of a particular period may be. Which is why it's not surprising that 80 years later, a Harvard Business Review article found that you could have said Twitter made a profit of 34 cents per share or lost 96 cents per share, depending on your accounting in 2014. So if that's true for accounting standards, 
and accounting metrics. No wonder it's mind-boggling for the whole wide range of data that cover environmental, social, and governance stuff. And if you don't know, a lot of what we do here is use that ocean of ESG data to focus on just a few things that are the biggest risks or opportunities for a company. And the output is a rating. We're not alone doing this. There are a lot of companies doing the same thing out there. And that poses a problem for some investors, including Timothy Doyle of the American Council for Capital Formation, a Washington think tank. Last year, he wrote, quote, Inconsistency and a lack of transparency render many ESG ratings meaningless, as we've seen with dramatically different ratings for the same company across multiple rating agencies. Ouch. I, I think he just said my career was meaningless. Why are ESG ratings not correlated? Um, okay, so obviously I can go on, on just on this topic for a long time. Um, but the short answer is that not every rating or score that you label with ESG is actually trying to measure the same thing. Uh, and plus, not every rating or score is actually equally good at measuring what it aims to measure. Now, what that means is that the correlation you should care about is whether the rating is correlated with what it purports to measure. So here's the thing. If you expect to see, like, the one signal for what ESG-ness a company has that works for every investor's individual strategies, then Timothy's totally right. Having too many signals makes them meaningless. But should all investors only have one ESG strategy? Put it another way, is there ever just one investment signal that works for everyone and everything? I guess I would make it more of an analogy, right? So you, I think of it more like yeah, I'm choosing a hotel and I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, when I look to book a hotel, I don't just go to TripAdvisor and book whatever hotel happens to be ranked number one right now. Um, you know, I do use the rankings as a starting reference and I filter for different features, right? I, I give higher weights to what I care about, which on one trip, it might be about, uh, about the location. Um, and on another trip, it might be that I really need to have certain amenities, like having a gym or a pool because I have my kids with me, you know. So it, that's not really dissimilar um, in some ways to, to how investors use um, our ESG ratings, right? It's a, it's a reference point. It's a common building block for managers to use in combination with other factors and metrics to reflect their differentiated strategy, um, really to solve that, that their own why um, in what it is that they own in their portfolios. In 1888, Friedrich Nietzsche wrote, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. And it took 200 years for Peter Lynch, who's a famous fund manager, to write in his book, One Up on Wall Street, that investors should, quote, know what you own and know why you own it. And if the era of big data has been all about knowing more about what you own, this next era is sort of about making sense of it all. It's about knowing why you own it. So maybe the critics are right if they're looking for one signal to tell them what to do. But maybe the investors are right, too. Because investors, more often than not, they look for something to help them start a common language or a starting point at the beginning of whatever journey they plan on taking. But when it comes to the end of the journey, most investors, well, they want to define that for themselves. 
This has been ESG Now, and that was our very philosophical Inside Baseball show. Thanks for joining us. And I want to thank Linda, Andrew, Michelle, and Rick for spending literally hours with me talking about this. I'm admittedly fascinated by this whole conversation. Also, thanks to our editorial staff, Mike, Rick, Megan, and thanks to you for listening. If you like what you hear, rate us, subscribe, give us feedback. While we don't have time to answer everyone, we really do read it all. And this podcast is a passion project for us, so it matters to us that you like it and we cover topics you want to hear. I'm your host, editor, writer, producer, Matt Muscardi. We have a few more story pods coming soon, so stay tuned. So maybe the critics are right. Maybe you need better data or more material data or a single sink, a single. Maybe the critics are right. Maybe you need better data or more material data or a single single, a single single. So maybe the critics are right. Maybe you need better data or more material data or a single single. What is wrong with me? Maybe you need better data or more material data or a single fuck. single signal. Single signal, sig, sig, single signal, single, sig, signal. Seriously, who wrote this damn script? Oh, yeah, me. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.